open. Father, we ask you now to settle us, to help us, to speak well of your Son. Let us see the Lord Jesus. Let us see him. Let us have a fresh glimpse of the Son of God. Father, if we see him, we'll see eternity. If we see him, we'll see you. If we see him, we will see everything we need. Our all is invested in your Son and what he has done. And so we pray, Father, that your Spirit would move from seat to seat and from heart to heart in this place. And the Father, that he would be glorified and exalted in everything that is done this evening in this house. Thank you for your great love, wherewith you have loved us. And we ask you, Lord, now to minister to every heart and glorify your name for Jesus' sake. Amen. We have looked in the first two, if I can call it the first two parts of this. We looked at how the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed from verses 26 to verses 29, he breaks bread representing his broken body on the cross. He takes of the cup of wine representing his precious shed blood that, he would, be shed, that would be shed on the cross. And of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 onward, the Apostle Paul tells us, and he uses and coins, as it were, this phrase, the same night in which our Lord was betrayed, took bread, and when he had thanks, he broke and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Likewise, after the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Paul, he amplifies what Christ has done here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. The Lord Jesus then sang a hymn. We're told that night, Satan entered into Judas. Judas goes out. Christ opens his heart to his disciples. After Christ has opened his heart to his disciples, he washes his disciples' feet. Then he opens his heart to his disciples. Judas is outside, now away with Satan. He warns Peter that he will deny him, that uh, Judas will betray him. And of course, after that, they sing the great Hallel, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And we did take an evening to look at portions of that in our last meeting to do with this topic. But now we're told, uh, when they had sung in him in verse 30, when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. When we get to verse 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and pray. The name Gethsemane, first of all, needs a bit of looking at. Gethsemane simply means oil or olive press. Oil or olive press. In the Aramaic or the, Kul, the Chaldee language, uh, in its origin, the name Gath, where we have Goliath of Gath, the place called Gath, that's where Geth comes from for Gethsemane. Gath was a well-known place where there was wine presses. So it can be a wine press or an olive press, but simply Geth or Gath means to press. When the southern kingdom of Judah were being carried away captive around 640 or so BC into Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came in, Jeremiah the prophet is lamenting and weeping over Jerusalem because they're, they're being taken captive uh, they're being brought away from their homeland. They're being brought away from their home city, from their temple worship. And everything that happened, God had allowed it because of their sin. 
God had sent the prophets and they wouldn't listen. And the house of Israel, as you know, were carried away almost 150 years previous to this. And now it's the house of Judah. Lamentations 1 and 15 gives us an idea of this uh, trampling, this pressing in Jerusalem. It says, Lamentations 1 and 15, the Lord hath trodden underfoot. Notice this. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. Here, Jeremiah is lamenting as though he's lamenting. Uh, uh, he's standing in for the city, the people of Jerusalem. He hath called an assembly against me. That's the Babylonians. Notice, to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden. Notice the term again, the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. Here, the... The Judaites had said that they were safe in their walled city. They said they were safe in the city of God. But yet they were only safe whenever they had God in the midst of them. They were only safe when God's anger was not kindled against them. And of course, we know then the Babylonians came and God had allowed it. Notice the term here again. Uh, is the Lord hath thrown underfoot. Then he says, called an assembly against me to crush my young men, the Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a wine press. And the word for geth or gath press means when they put the grapes in that vat, they trod them down with their feet. They crushed the grapes under their foot. They were trampled until they were rendered useless, no more of use to anyone. But the grape, the blood of the grape would come forward. Or if you want, it means really that the blood would burst forth. The blood would come out. And, and Jeremiah is looking at the Babylonians attacking the remnant here now left of Judah in Jerusalem. And all those men are carried away and young men are dying in the street. And there's bloodshed everywhere. Uh, and the Jewish temple is now uh, come to naught. And, and he's looking at it and he's saying, you've, Lord, you've allowed this to happen to crush the young men of Jerusalem, you've allowed them to trample all over us. Even their very blood are like squashed grape juice upon the ground. And Jeremiah is lamenting and weeping over this for he sees it all. And he's heartbroken over the daughter, the virgin daughter of his people. Wonder, brothers and sisters, could you and I as the church, not only in Ulster or Ireland, but in the United Kingdom would we have such lamentations to cry over the loss of our, our kith and our kin every time they go into a lost eternity without Christ. I wonder when we see unrighteousness and we see all the things that are happening and our government legislation is passing, would it not be right for every one of us to get together and to weep and to howl between the porch and the altar and cry unto God for mercy for our nation? I wonder, are we sitting to at ease in Zion thinking it will never happen and leaving it up to someone else? Yet we need a Jeremiah whose eyes will run down with water of tears, someone who will soak their pillow and soak their, their very desk that they sit in, will soak the carpet of their floors with their tears. In other words, to, to see that it's coming a great day of wrath upon our nation, and that day of wrath will come soon, and already there's blood being shed in the streets. The young men are being crushed and young men's blood is being shed all over, not only our nation, but in others. It will increase and it will get worse. And the gaff of Britain, the gaff of 
Ulster and the Gath of Ireland is on its way when the winepress of God's wrath will be upon us. If the church does not get together in unity and in fellowship of the Spirit in bonds with cords of love in the name of the Lord Jesus and cry, cry literal tears of repentance before God because the church needs to repent before it can be revived. Here we need repentance of heart of the individual, repentance of heart of the church, of the assembly of God here, repentance of each and every one of us that our nation may be spared to some degree of the wrath of the crushing of the blood of grapes whenever God's wrath is kindled and that free against us. Friend, we see already we are no longer the head but becoming quickly the tail. And now the tail is wagging the dog and we will soon become the tail and they will become the head. Jeremiah is saying he has forced the blood to come out. He has forced the blood to come out. And we are told today from many pulpits and many preachers that God will not send wrath. Brothers and sisters, be aware. Hear me this evening. Hear the word of the Lord this evening. Wrath is coming to this nation. Wrath is coming to this province. Wrath is coming and we shall be in a winepress and we will be crushed under the foot of the enemy and God will stand back if the church does not arise and wake up. Wake thou that sleepest and rise from the dead and Christ shall give thee life. And we're told here that we must repent of our sin. The church and its uh, lethargy, the church and its apathy, the church and its laziness, the church and its unbelief uh, must stand up, stand up for Jesus and be soldiers of the cross. For Britain is in a dire state. Britain's government is corrupt to the core and we find that we need righteous men and women to stand up to preach the word of God across our land and our nation again. Would you say amen to that, brothers and sisters? Here we have Judah carried away, crushed, crushed, crushed by the Babylonians, and God allowed it. The Judaite people, and God allowed it because of their false religion. God allowed it because of their apostasy. God allowed it because of, if you want, their politically correctness, their humanism and their atheism. God allowed it because of their traditions or men were held in a higher weight than the commandments of God. Brothers and sisters, we must we must get ourselves right with God as a church. We must get on our knees. We must pray and we must intercede that he would come in power and great glory and that he would rescue us one more time again for the coming of the Lord doth draw nigh. Here we have the crushing, the gath, and that's the idea of Gethsemane. The word gath or geth, Gethsemane. The second part of the word is shemen. Shemen, and it simply means olive. It means oil. It means ointment. But listen, it means richness. Richness. Do you know the church of God? The church of God flourished when it was under persecution. The church of God flourished when they were burning them at the stake. The church of God flourished when there was persecution on the left hand and on the right. 
And the church of God flourished throughout medieval and dark ages when the light started to come that the just shall live by faith. And it started to flourish because the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, was shining upon our people again, was shining upon our nation, and we were standing for the glory of God and for the exaltation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, the problem is that now we have come to such a comfortable uh, such a, a state that this nation needs nothing else. The church is Laodicean. It's neither hot nor refreshingly cold. It's lukewarm and makes the Lord want to spew us out of his mouth simply because the church has a ticket or leave it or take him or leave him attitude about them. Friend, we'd rather lie with a duvet over our head in the morning and get up and seek his face. We'd rather go to bed at night and think nothing about him than seek him into the early hours of the morning when all before us men and women used to get on their knees and upon their face and pray and pray until God answered prayer and came through in mighty power indeed. Here we find that the word here for olive or richness means that when it's crushed, the olive or the grape, in the press, God takes the good out of it. There's been a, a, a recent uh, video released of the Masonic Order, and they have released uh, some of their lower-level meetings to take away uh, this mystical side of them to show they're not what people are making them out to be, they say. Brothers and sisters, all I can see in it is this, is that the New World Order has become more brazen-necked they become more brave-faced. They're coming out more into the open on the New World Order. Not only are they doing that, but they are accustoming you and I to accept it in its full. And you and I will be like sheep to the slaughter at the end of it all. You, don't mark my words, but find it out yourself. At the higher ranks and the higher levels of the 33-degree masonry, they swear allegiance to Satan, and that's who rules and reigns over this organization. Here we're finding in the times like this, when things and wickedness are starting to arise, we're finding that God will separate the wheat from the chaff. God will crush his people in order that the richness of his glory will come out of them in a darkened world. So don't be worried and don't be afraid if you're in Christ and you love Jesus and you know him as your own Lord and personal Savior. For when the crushing doth come, God is doing a good thing among us and God is going to raise us up again. And he's dressing us in garments of white for the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to call his bride. He's going to make you glorious and victorious in Christ. Yes, it is that the richness, the oil, the ointment will come forth throughout persecution. So here we see this word Gethsemane means so much. Why Christ would pick such a place? Why Christ would go to such a place? Because Christ went to be crushed in God's olive press. Now you think about that. The same night in which he was betrayed, 
Christ went forth after worshiping his Father. Calvary's looming in the face. He has washed the disciples' feet. The devil has entered into old Judas. He's went out to betray him. Peter's about to deny him. And now all the rest will run away and leave him. And now when things seemingly couldn't get worse, he is singing and praising his Father. And he comes out across the brook Kedron into the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing full well this would be the olive press of his father, and he'd be crushed. So we read of the crushing. In Mark's account of the crushing, Mark chapter 14, and verse 33 says of the Lord Jesus, and it began to be, notice the terms here in Mark's account, sore amazed. The accounts are similar, but I like Mark's account. Mark 14 and verse 33, listen to what he says. And he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Now, you and I need to stop and pause for a moment and think of this. This is our Savior here. This isn't some vagabond. This isn't a thief and a robber. This is the perfect, sinless, spotless, impeccable Son of the living God. This is the one who came to redeem us. And now he's in God's olive press. He began to be sore amazed. Jesus began to be sore amazed. Jesus began to be very heavy. Notice what verse 34 says. And he saith unto them, Jesus now turns to feeble man, turns to those who say they love him, Turn to those whom he says, you're going to run away and leave me, and you're going to deny me. The betrayer's already gone, and I'm waiting for him coming. And he turns to these feeble men, and he says unto them, my soul, the soul of Christ, remember he's human, and he is divine. My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. That's the words of Christ. That's the words of our Savior. The words here for sore amazed in verse 33 is a word, ekthambeo. And listen to what it means. Jesus turns to these men, and they're watching him, and he starts to throw himself and writhe in some sort of fitting state. The word ekthambeo means to throw into terror, to throw into amazement. Christ was thrown into terror as a man. He was thrown into terror. He was thrown into amazement at that which was coming upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Son of God, thrown into a terror. It means to alarm someone thoroughly. Suddenly, he who had never, he had never known sin, someone who had known the, the depths and the guilt and the weight of sin because he did no sin, he was yet without sin, he knew not sin. The one who was the sinless, son, sinless spotless Lamb of God now starts to feel Calvary looming. The weight of it all starts to crush him in the Garden of Gethsemane, God's olive press. And he starts to realize all of us, taking all of yours, taking all of mine, taking everyone from Father Adam and laying all of their sin, the murders and the, and the vileness of man. He takes it and he puts it on him. It means to alarm thoroughly, to terrify, to be struck with amazement and to be astounded. So Jesus goes to pray, and this comes on him. 
And the disciples are, are getting dozy now and they're sort of watching over and they're starting to doze over and this empties itself in Christ. He's sore amazed and to be very heavy. Sore amazed means the Lord was overwhelmed with sorrow, sorrow and with its terrors. The Lord's, uh, ter the terrors of this exceeded Christ's anticipations, throwing his human soul into a new experience. Jesus had never known a breaking fellowship with his Father. And sin separates us from God. And that's why every sinner who's not blood-washed and blood-bought and, and found in Christ on that day will be separated forever from God because we are sinners. But Jesus paid the debt that those who are in Christ are now reconciled back to the Father. And now he takes our sin and he bears it in his own body and takes it to the tree from as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And our sin was drowned in the blood of Jesus. Our sin was drowned in the blood of Christ. And we're told that in this garden, he received all of this and the terrors of it. It threw him into an entirely new experience. His human soul his human soul, his human soul had knew nothing ever like it before. He was so amazed and began to be very heavy. The idea is he began to be distressed. You're talking about the Lord Jesus here. Never anywhere in the middle of a storm, he walks on the sea. In the middle of an hour storm, he's lying in, with his head on a pillow asleep and he's unafraid, he's unworried. Demons come to him, people try to stone him and he passes through them like a hot knife through butter. Nothing phases him. But now, but now all that you and I should have received, he's taking. He began to be distressed, thrown into bewilderment, confused. It means to be restless. It gives the idea to be in a half-distracted-like state. Jesus starts being half-distracted, not even, you know, you, you would distract and be panicked almost. What way to turn? Jesus is thrown into this experience, and its terrors has outstripped its anticipations. It means one of feeling really uncomfortable. They're not at home with us at all. In Mark 14 and 34, he says to these men, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. The idea here for exceeding sorrowful is grief enveloped the master. Grief surrounded the Lord Jesus. Grief made him so sad it was saturating his consciousness even to the point that he thought he was going to die there and then in the garden. His mind was completely saturated. He says, I'm going to die in this garden. Mark 14 and 35 says, and he went a little, went forward a little and fell on the ground. 
See him this half distracted like state, thinking he's going to die. His mind's all over the place. This is coming on him. This is a, a horrific, terrific, uh, a horrific new, new experience that he's never uh, known before. And he goes a little further out into the garden. Maybe he's trying to protect the men. I don't know why he went further out from them. And at one point, he's getting to a place and he just falls under it. And it's an imperfect verb in the Greek, which means he fell on his face. And he pushes himself up with the weight of it. And he gets up again and he falls again. And he pushes himself up and he falls again. And he pushes himself up. Can you see him straining in the garden? And he pushes himself up and he falls again and again and again and again and again. That's the idea of it. He keeps trying and pushes himself up. He continually threw out it. It means he continually fell on his face and prayed. And he pushed up and he prayed again. 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 Brothers and sisters, pray through. Don't be through praying. Pray through it. Don't be through praying. What an example of the Lord Jesus is. And he asked something. This is important. He asked something that the hour might pass from him. Can you see how he is at this point? Oh, but sure, he's God and he's man. Yeah, he is God and he is man. But the problem is, he became like you and I, that because he's man, he understands us. And he's weak. He's a human being, fully human. He prays that the hour might pass from him. Remember John 17 and verse 1 when he's praying? He prays, Father, the hour has come. Remember I told you that? Father, the hour has come. And he starts entering in. He starts to, 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 to see this looming in front of him. He starts to see this looming as he's worshiping. He starts to see this hanging before him like a darkened cloud. But he knows he must go through this. And by the time he gets to Gethsemane, he's being crushed. And now he prays, Father, that the hour might pass from him. Experience... The experience caused him as a man to say or to ask, listen, is there another way? Is there a possibility, another avenue for sin and redemption to be paid? Is there another way? The answer came back, no. Mark 14, 36, nevertheless, he says, not what I will, but what thou wilt. How futile are your uh, human ventures for salvation? How futile and how feeble, how ridiculous does man's effort seem now to think he can get to heaven on his own merit? Even the Son of God with all the weight of Calvary before him says, Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. There's nothing else. And if you don't do it, they're lost. If you don't do it, Ken Davidson's in hell. And nevertheless, in other words, 
Not what I will, but what thy will, Father. There's only one payment for sin, brothers and sisters. I just read just yesterday, Pope Benedict has said that the Jews don't need the blood of Jesus to get to heaven. In Luke chapter 22, in Luke's account, it says, and being in an agony, being in an agony, notice the words here. These words are written on purpose. The Holy Spirit has placed these words on purpose. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And the sweat were, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Christ was in an agony. And he had to go further and deeper into prayer. He's in agony and he had to keep seeking his Father. He's in agony and he had to go further and deeper in the seeking the face of God. See the, the words here, for great drops of blood were falling to the ground. His sweat was great drops of blood falling to the ground. The word for great drops is the word thrombos. And it's where you and I get our word thrombosis from. In other words, it wasn't just like a little tint of pinky red coming from a bead of sweat. The word thrombos means large, thick drops, clotted blood. And the sweat mingling with him looked like large, thick drops of clotted, heavy, red blood, precious blood. He's in the garden, he's praying, and he's lifting up, and the stress of this is bringing the very blood through his pores. From the garden to the grave, you can trace the bloodline of Jesus. Do you know that? What do I mean? Well, there was blood in the garden, great drops. There was blood at the whipping post. There was blood in Pilate's Praetorium Hall with a crown of thorns and a beating. There was blood on the crossbeam and then down the Via Dolorosa. There was blood on the cross, a witness of blood, in the garden to the grave in the same night in which he was betrayed. Uh, Matthew 26, in our reading, verses 40 to 45, Jesus finds his disciples asleep instead of being in prayer. Hello? Is there anyone here and you're sleeping? Your eyes may be awake, but are you sleeping? Are you sleeping when you go home all week until you come to a prayer meeting, or maybe you don't come to the prayer meeting? Are you sleeping all week until you come here again and praise the Lord? Are, are we a sleeping church? Are we sleeping at home where our children don't know if we're saved or not, but don't know whether we really love Christ or not? What sort of a people are we? Are we sleeping like the disciples because Jesus comes and he says to them? And people may turn around and say, look, I, I was tired, I was exhausted, you know, it was all of these excuses. Listen, brothers and sisters, this night with this on him and feeling in the state and being in the manner in which he was, he continued to pray further. 
He continued to press on in. And he came to these men, he says, to pray for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's always going to be a war until Christ changes these bodies between your flesh and your spirit. He says that the spirit is willing. The word willing is the word prothomos, and it means your spirit is ready and willing. Your spirit is ready and willing. It means intentionally set toward and eager to pray. But you're all dozy and minding. It's not what the church is like today. Our nation is going to hell in a handcart. And the church are so good at some of the stalwarts, as it were, getting on a radio program, but there's nothing done. We're afraid to open our mouths. We're afraid to speak out. We're afraid of the gospel. We're afraid to offend. We're afraid of everyone and everything. We're afraid. Brothers and sisters, we should never be afraid nor ashamed of the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop sleeping, church. You need to take it easy, Pastor. We need to press further. Not take it easy. In Matthew 26 and verse 41, in Mark 14 and verse 38, and in Romans 1 and 15, this word, prothemos, is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used for the word willing in Matthew's account. In Mark's account, Mark 14 and 38, he says, the spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. And as used in Romans 1 and 15, Paul says, so much as is in me, I am ready. It's the same word to preach the gospel unto you that are at Rome also. Notice this. The word, the term gives it, your spirit is ready. Let's go for it and you're in the revival meeting, and you're under the preaching of the word, and you're there in the groups playing, and we're singing onward Christian soldiers marching on to war. Oh, we're going to stand for Christ, and by the time you get home, you forgot him. By the time we get home, and we all go to our work, we're all down and out tomorrow, and there's no spirituality in the church. There's no power, and there's no anointing. God's looking for men and women to use. He's looking for you, brother. He's looking for you, sister. Good intentions, willing, are not enough. I meant to do this or that, but the flesh got in the way. Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed through his temptation and his trial of his flesh until that temptation had died in him. Nevertheless, not my will but that thy wilt. Until that, he kept praying, and he kept praying, and his flesh was weak, and he was in agony, and he was swollen all over the place in his mind, and he prayed, and he pursued, and he prayed, until he got to the place. He says, nevertheless, not what I will, but what I will, Father. That's the problem, brothers and sisters. The church doesn't pray anymore and say, Lord, we're willing to sacrifice our time. We're willing to sacrifice our family. We're willing to sacrifice everything and all that we have for more of you. We 
I just meet in hurry up and get over there and get home. The X Factor results are on. Oh boy. Oh boy. And Christ was in the garden. Christ was in the garden burying it for you. Brothers and sisters, I openly admit to every one of you, and I said before God, every day I sense how far short I fall. Every day I fall far short of him. Thank God for grace. Jesus prayed through his temptation until the flesh was dead to that temptation. He says, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thy will. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See the word here for infirmities. It's, it comes from the root word for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's the word asthenes or asthene is the two words. And so they're similar, they're really the same words. And what it means here is that we have a high priest who cannot be touched with a feeling. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched. Two negatives are making a positive. So let me put it like this. We have a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was like that in the garden, who felt the pain on the cross, who entered death and rose again. And what he is saying here, what the writer is telling us here, but he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It's the word asthene from the word asthenos, ness. And that's the root word for weakness. In other words, see every weakness you have, Christ felt it in the garden. Every weakness. Christ felt that he was a man. It means weak, infirm, feeble, impotent, sick, and without strength. And every one of us are like that at certain times in our lives. We're weak, we're feeble, we're infirm, we're impotent, we're, we're without strength. And Jesus took it all. And he says, I know how you feel. Pray into it and pray through it. And stand for your Father. I'm coming to a close. The same night in which he was betrayed, he was tested. He was tried. He was tempted. And so he agonized and he prayed with patience and perseverance until he got the victory. Listen to Hebrews 5 and 7, and it's reverting back to this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now listen to this. Also through other parts of his life, but it's reverting back to here. Speaking of the Lord, Jesus says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with, notice, strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. I'm going to break this down and we're going to finish at this. And some other time I'll do another part of this. But see the words here in the days of his flesh. We know that's when he was the man, the human in the garden on the cross. 
when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? A saviour in tears. Just let that hang there for a moment. And many of us have dry eyes. He was in tears. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Christ comes and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, high often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. He's crying over the city. Here he's crying in the garden. We're told he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. The word supplications here, it's a word, hikatheria, probably not pronounced right. And supplication here, there was a, a, a thing that they did then was they, they got an olive branch. Olive, the olive branch was the, the, the emblem of Israel. They got the olive branch and they got white wool. And they wrapped it all around and cushioned it in wool. And they carried it over their shoulder like this. They went toward the temple to pray. And they waved the olive branch in white wool. Big clumps of wool were stuck around the tomb toe, like padded. And when they did that, it was a sign that I am supplicating before God. Be gentle with us, O God. Help us. We need great help in Israel. That should be the we should be carrying our olive branch with white wool before our Father. Lord, we need in our nation, we need your, we need your gentleness. We need your mercy. We're supplicating. It gives the idea where they're really entering into it. Really entering in. Look, Father, please, this is how much we need you. And the same word is used where Jesus comes like an olive branch wrapped in white wool. Father, help me. It's any wonder we're told that after this, an angel came to strengthen him. The father dispatched an angel. Go help my son. Can you see the angels of glory? Probably ready at the war. We'll look at it another time. He says, think not that I could call 12 legions of angels right now. And yet he didn't because he had to go to the cross. And you see the, you see the angels maybe overlooking, as it were, the battlements of glory. Right, you say the word, O God, and we will go and rescue the glorious Son. We will go and rescue the King of glory. Speak the word only and we'll go. And the Father says, withdraw yourselves. Withdraw yourselves. He must die. his own father. And he done it for you. And he done it for me. And when it was over, and he had yielded in the garden, the father says to one of the angels, now go strengthen him. It's beautiful. There's always mercy in God. Let me finish with this. The 
words here really do need looked at just for two minutes. It says here we are, that who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save from death. From death. Now note that. From death. And was heard and that he feared. See the idea here, from death. The critics of Christ like to think and say, you know, look, he didn't come with uh, you in mind. He didn't come thinking he's going to the cross. He was crying on to his father just say, don't let me die, don't let me die. Brothers and sisters, no, he wasn't. I'm going to prove this to you. The word here for from, there's two main words in the Greek New Testament. One is ek and one is apo. Ek and apo. And uh, one means from the outside off or, or from the boundary off. If I turned around and says to one of you, are you coming to church on Sunday night? I'm coming. And you come to the doors and you stand at the doors and you maybe look in and you turn around and you walk back out and go home again. And I'd say to you, I thought you were coming to church on Sunday night. He says, well, I did. I did. It was there. But you've turned and walked from the outside of it out. That's the word apo in the Greek, okay? Apple. But if I said to you, are you coming to church and you've came in and partook like you have tonight, you've come in the double doors, you've come in, you've found your seats, you've been right into the midst, right into the heart of the service, then you could say, yes, I've come to church tonight because you've taken part in it all. You're right in the heart of it, you're right in the midst of the service. That's the word ek. So when we're reading this, this is the word that's used. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, or the word is that the word isn't from the cross, that he wouldn't go to the cross. That's not the word, that would be apple, touching death and coming again. The idea is he's praying, Father, I'm going into the realms of death, but I know you've said you'll raise me again on the third day. That's what he was praying. It means ak. E.K., it means he goes right into the heart of the grave, right into the tomb. He's dead. He's necros. He is totally defunct. He's dead. That's the word. Right into the realms of death. Right into the heart like you're in this service and the Father calls him out in the third day. That's what this means. Don't you let anybody try and pull the wool over your eyes. Say, ah, Jesus, he fainted. He didn't even want to go. He knew he was going. He was thinking, I'm going to die now, but you'll get me to the cross. And when I die, you'll bring me out again. Same night in which he was betrayed, we read next of Judas Iscariot comes and kisses him on the cheek. He kissed the gate of heaven and he went to hell. That's how close you can get that's how close you can get. You kiss the gate of heaven, who's Christ, and you can go to hell. 